There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Hello, and welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Thank you, everyone, for your support of the podcast. I hear a lot of uh, positive feedback out there, and it just it means a lot to me that you are listening and following along, truly. Today, I welcome a special guest. He is the editorial director of QSR and FSR magazine, Danny Klein. We go into different things, such as what his day-to-day looks like, how he got into this business, some of the challenges that he's had to face and overcome. And then we talk about a really exciting summit that he has coming up in September. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it and welcome Danny. Danny, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here today. You know, I've been following you on LinkedIn actually for quite a while, and I love the content that you're always posting. And uh, I actually saw something earlier this morning, which I thought was really cool. So, but I just want to say thank you and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad you're uh, following along. It's the only social platform I still believe in. So <laughs> I'm the same way. You know, I I, I have a Instagram still, but I haven't posted on there probably in over a year or two. I don't have. TikTok, I don't have Snapchat. Facebook, I have, but it's a dinosaur for me. But uh, LinkedIn, I, I, I do love LinkedIn for sure. Yeah, my my dog has an Instagram account. Nice. Um, which, you know, I was more active back in the day before I had children. Sure. I have a Twitter account, but I haven't tweeted in like three years. And um, Facebook, same thing. That's like well, my aunts and uh, parents look at it, but my friends are not on there anymore. <laughs> so... Same. So LinkedIn's really the only one, in my opinion, worth really posting anything professionally because totally. Twitter is just such a such a cesspool of uh, things. I mean, unless you're you're kind of up to on current events and that's your business. But totally. but anyway, digress. How have you how have you built your following on LinkedIn? What are maybe some tips that you've you found along the way that increases you know your engagement? Yeah, you know, it really started not surprisingly to take off both personally and for our company page at the start of COVID. You know, yeah. it, obviously from a information perspective, it became very important for operators and people within the industry to seek out what was happening. You know, of course, they were trying to make it, but then at the same time, you just had these crazy things happening every day, you know, from cheesecake factory furloughing 40,000 people to, you know, who knows what else was going to happen on a regular day. So it kind of became a little bit of a, just sort of a center of gravity for the industry. But personally, just in terms of things I've done, I mean, I, you know, I, I try to be who I am on there. You know, I don't have a professional persona. So I post pictures of my kids and of my dog and, silly other comments that I make and things that, you know, some people have told me, you know, come, come across kind of, you know, either vulnerable or like a real person, but I'm not trying to do that. It's just that I don't, 
I don't really believe in like one of my rules for people who work for me is that you can't use the word word thrilled. <laughs> I just can't I just can't get behind that on LinkedIn when I see those posts. You know, I'm thrilled to do this. It's like normally you're probably not. Um, right. So honestly, it was just really kind of about being myself, and then everything that we do flows from the content that we post, the people that we tag, that we write about, and really just a slow burn over time mm-hmm. of. Um, you know, people getting to know me, you know, try to be really accessible in there. But, but yeah, I don't know that there's any kind of secret sauce. It's just, you know, we have a recognizable brand that I was lucky enough to walk into, you know, and then kind of make it my own um, just by, by being me, I guess. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned COVID. Do you feel now that I would imagine probably back in COVID, there was a lot of stories coming out every day, every week, every month. Um, has that velocity continued up until this point? No, no, definitely, definitely has not. I actually pinched a nerve in my neck during COVID by just writing so much, I'm which sure. I never, I never actually got over, unfortunately. But, but no, I mean, we were my uh, colleague Ben um, Coley and I. We were probably writing. You know, we were actually doing at one point, we had like a drop down page of articles that we were posting, you know, just to give a resource for people who want to learn more about COVID related topics. And I mean, we were probably writing, you know, 20 to 40 things a week. And uh, it's nowhere near that now. I mean, the velocity is is pretty, pretty much back to where it was before. You know, you just maybe have a little bit more in terms of innovation to write about, you know, I would say if you go back to before COVID, a lot of those stories were sort of like, oh, you know, is this coming? What are we doing? But now everyone's kind of doing it between like building a new restaurant design, AI. So, so there is more going on, I would say, um, but, it, but it's definitely a cadence closer to reality than during that, that April 2020 stretch. Um, that month was, was just something something we hopefully will never do again. <laughs> right. Professionally, as a country, you know, health-wise, everything, just let's never do April 2020 again in the world. Yeah, I remember it. I, I think a lot of people aren't in the food industry remember uh, that time, and it was definitely a scary time. Did you feel on the, on the business side, was COVID a positive for you and your business? To a degree, um, and then to some degrees, no. Uh, out of the gate, you know, like everybody, you know, a lot of the companies who advertised with us, of course, were going to become a little bit different in how they were going to spend their money and what they thought the health of the industry was, and you know, whether or not they should sort of hit pause. And a lot of people did. Um, now, from a website engagement and email and all that kind of metrics performance, we. Have never been higher, um, and we we probably never will be that high again. <laughs> um, you know, we've had conversations about that where we look at kind of what our audience looked like during that spell, and um, you know, obviously it, it's come down to more. It's higher than it's actually similar to restaurants; like it's higher than it used to be, but not as high as it was. And um, and it's and it's something you can't really recreate. You know, it's it, I've told people it's kind of like when you know, Trump was president and there were these crazy things every day and CNN and Fox and all these news organizations were seeing ratings that they had never seen before, good or bad reasons behind it, just the reality. Kind of similar, you know, in terms of like that that hypersensitive data time of 
you know, the COVID early pandemic, it just won't be repeatable. So our LinkedIn page, for an example, you know, we were sitting at like, yeah, you know, like 7,000 at the beginning of COVID. And, you know, we crossed 50,000 probably, you know, sometime earlier this year, but that all that, all that growth happened within, you know, but, but like our email sends in the morning, you know, I, was, I it, it just was crazy. The metrics we were getting because a, again, you had headlines like, you know, about the cheesecake factory for allowing 40,000 people and it's crazy stuff. But then on top of that, it was just the fact that people were so hungry to, to learn about what was happening, you know, and, the, and then also when the dust settles, you know, a lot of our, you know, some restaurants made it, some didn't, some people got out of the industry, some, you know, embedded themselves even deeper. So it's just, it's just a different, uh, a different world right now, but our organization, we're probably in stronger shape now. Um, I, I think, I don't know how much COVID played a role in that, <laughs> you know, other than maybe it just gave us a chance to be who we were on an amplified stage. But, um, you know, it, it's always an interesting topic, whether or not the pandemic was good for food service and those who cover it or, or if it wasn't, because on some level, you know, it did some positive things for the innovation cycle and for certain operators, but I don't think anybody involved is ever going to say it was a good thing, you know, so right, kind of similar vibe. Yeah, my dad and I, we own a food service brokerage company and we're in California and Nevada and we started back in 2015. So him and I, we started the company together and I really felt it was through 2020 and beyond. I was like, the I finally feel like I'm becoming an entrepreneur because it was truly very difficult to go through that period, especially our customers just stopped buying our products from our manufacturer clients and our sales really slowed. And so it, it, it did give us a moment to pause and regroup and rethink. And um, I think now as we come out of it, it's, it's been uh, a, a benefit. But going for about a year and a half there, we had depressed sales and that was really tough you know, mentally, emotionally to go through that. When it comes to the information that was available through COVID on the food side, on the food service side, who are your competitors? Uh, you mean like other publications? <laughs> well, maybe you don't have to denounce them here, but are there <laughs> other publications that you are competing against uh, for presenting information? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we... You know, the food service trade publication world is, you know, it's a, there's basically four, I guess, four or five publications in there between, you know, Winsight and Restaurant Business and Nation's Restaurant News, um, Restaurant Dive, Franchise Times, um, Fast Casual, and QSR Web. That's kind of the universe we all live in. You know, but I, you know, I, I don't know. In terms of competition, I'm just the type of person I, I just kind of try to worry about what we're doing. Totally. Um, I, you know, I, I do try to differentiate. That's something we decided six years ago on a strategy wise. But, you know, I would say we're a friendly industry in terms of comp competition. <laughs> you know, our former editors at one of those publications now is their editor. And, um, you know, obviously we're st we still talk and all that. So, so yeah, I mean, I would say that's kind of the, the world of media um, in the food service space. If I left anybody out, I apologize. It was not my intention. <laughs> um, How do you differentiate yourself in in this landscape? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's, that's actually a somewhat convoluted answer, but it's something that stretches back. I remember the moment pretty vividly. I had read this book that my our owner at the time had given me called The Content Trap, and uh, it's written by a Harvard business um, grad. But um, you know, really the idea was to create an organization that is about or driven by the user connections rather than trying to basically game the open web. And so what I started to do, you know, I realized at the time resource wise, I wasn't really on par with some of these bigger people I mentioned, but what I could do is if we're all going to write the same article on the same topic, like say McDonald's releases their quarterly report, which they did this morning, you know, every one of us is going to write that story, right? You know, none of us are going to ignore McDonald's uh, Q1. But, um, you know, how could I do it in a way that is QSR, you know, and that's who we are. And so I started to write these sort of like really long, in-depth type of content pieces, which was actually inspired by a chapter in that book on The Economist. Not that I'm trying to be the communist, we're not that pretentious, <laughs> but, but the idea was that the, the guy was saying, you know, we reinvented ourselves by basically trying to create a product that was, would appeal to someone who, A, reads The Economist, and then is also reading The Economist because they're thinking about who else is reading The Economist. Mm. So it became like, okay, I'm going to write this 2,000-word article on McDonald's. And someone's probably going to come across that, say, like my brother, and he's going to go, I tried to read this, but like, you know, what the hell was this article? I'm like, you know, 2,000 words. You gave me every possible thing I could possibly have cared about. And I would say, well, good, you know, it wasn't for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, However, um, you know, if the true restaurant aficionado came across it, you know, we actually, the way that I had phrased this at the time, we never used this branding, but was to create the restaurant magazine for the restaurant nerd. Essentially that you would read it and go, okay, well, I found my people because I'm reading this and I'm also sure that this other QSR executive is reading this or whatever. So it's both aspirational and educational. Um, and really have just kind of stuck to that since over the years and it's taken on a lot of different forms. You know, a really good example of this is um, I always like to tell this story. You know, I, I hired a few new people recently and I created a mission statement for the first time, in my, which I don't know if any of them listen to, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there was this example I gave where about a year ago, you know, Taco Bell had come out with this Defy concept, which is this two story, four lane drive through. You know, it looks like something out of, you know, Judge Dredd in the future. Um, and so we wrote this long story on it. And this guy on Twitter, some guy who had a blue check mark when that was a thing, you mm-hmm. know, back then, he responded something like, Look at this breathless article from this fast food magazine on a Taco Bell of all things. So I wrote him back and I was just like, Thank you, because if somebody is going to provide breathless coverage of a Taco Bell, it's going to be QSR. <laughs> and if you don't like it, then you're not someone that we're trying to appeal to. And um, so that concept I've, I've tried to really share with the people who write here now is that everything that we're going to do is quote-unquote breathless coverage. And that's how we differentiate is the fact that, you know, we, we are taking you, you know, not, and not just with Taco Bell and McDonald's, but we'll write that same story about 
you know, a brand you never heard of. Mm-hmm. And we get that feedback all the time from those brands, you know, do the interview, write the story, and then say, like, I had no idea this was going to turn into this. <laughs> right. Because we, we don't glance at anything. Um, everything that we do, we're going to we're going to dive into that storytelling aspect of it. So that's kind of who we become. You know, it's not the easiest bar to maintain. I'll tell you that much. It's been very difficult to um, hire for, for this sort of model. <laughs> We've run through some iterations of staff in the last, since, since I've been editor, but at this point right now, I think, you know, we have a really great staff, the best that I've worked with, thankfully. <laughs> That's you know, great. Got some swings and misses in the early days, but um, but now everyone embraces that you know idea and that mindset of of who we are, and um, and yeah, I think people appreciate it about us because you know we we just everything that we do, you could tell we care, um, and that's always why I tell people is you know I I can train you on some level, but if you don't care, and I care way more than you, then it's not going to work, right? Um, and that's uh, and that that's kind of our our thing, you know. And 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 but the good part about it is that our competitors, you know, they keep churning along, doing things they're great at. But I don't think anyone else wants to take a stab at that. <laughs> you know, like I, I just wrote this morning uh, or published this morning a, an article on White Castle. Uh, it's about AI and um, robotics. I was at a conference. I listened to a couple executives speak. It's like thirty three hundred words long. You know. I just don't, I'm just not going to leave anything out because that's not what we do. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think our competitors are going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Because they're, yeah. they're, they're not as crazy as I am, I guess. But um, again, like I said, I'm not, I don't do it for them really. But um, this is just, I was like this way as a sports writer too. So it's just my current version of it. I love that. How do you find, I, I'm curious, how do you find articles or, or news to write about? Yeah, I mean, we get, like anybody, we get a steady pitch of ideas from okay. public relations people. But then but then you have, so you have that, plus you have a mix of what's just happening in the world, you know, the news, you know, and then, a, and then we have an editorial calendar where we kind of pick what we want to write about a year in advance. So, you know, then three months ahead of that, we'll start to get, you know, we'll say, okay, well, here are the five topics that we picked five months ago, like, who are we going to slide into this story on, you know, hot dogs um, and then reach out to the brands who fit that bill. But so it's kind of a mix of that. So it's a mix of stories coming to us, us coming up with ideas and then us covering, you know, things that we didn't see happening, like cheesecake factory laying off 40,000 people. (laughs) Right. Keep bringing them up. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the tier of things. I saw on your website you have something called Menu Innovations. And from what it looks like, it's all of the new menus or LTOs that are coming out at large uh, concepts or unique concepts around the country. Is that kind of the similar way? Maybe they have a PR company that, that brings that information forward? Or how do you find that? Yeah, oh. right. Um, yeah, they're emailing us constantly. I mean, I get... God knows how many emails a week or day. Um, but yeah, so typically you like you'll get an email from an agency who reps Taco Bell and you know, say like, you know, crunchy gordita releases Wednesday or whatever, and you're just cleaning up the release and posting it. And yeah, that's just a steady flow. You know, that that's on our website we have that listed as like recent news. So those are press releases sort of uh, just posted by us. 
I love that. Who is your consumer? Who is your target customer? Yeah, well, I think I kind of got into that there for a minute. Um, so that re- so that restaurant magazine for the restaurant nerd, we've changed since to now be called the restaurant magazine for the restaurant enthusiast. <laughs> just because the word nerd kind of, you know, but um, we still don't use that branding. That's just like my guidepost. Right. But, but yeah, so our, our, our consumer for, the, for QSR um, is just anybody involved with running a quick service restaurant. You know, I, I would say franchisees make up the heart of our audience. Um, and then you have kind of a steady after that. It's corporate level people and then also vendors and suppliers, you know, and um, who are using our publication to stay up to date. And then also I'm sure they're prospecting it <laughs> for leads, um, which is cool, you know, just to see like who's doing what and who might need their services. But yeah, you know, it's mostly just anybody who lives within the QSR realm. And then we have FSR as well, which is our full service publication. And, you know, that one's a little bit harder to define because that was part of the segment's a lot more nuanced, but mm-hmm. But still, yeah, it's um, it's just restaurant operators and restaurant people who support the restaurant industry. I think is the best way to say it. Yeah, that makes sense. Your team are they are they is it one team for QSR and they're working on FSR or is it separate teams? Yeah, we we blend it to a degree. I work on both um, FSR and QSR. Both have an editor who focus on the print side, and um, but we all write for every website. And then we have an associate editor who does both. And then we have two interns who each one of them works on one of the magazines. So, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of help each other out. We've been more blended in the past and we've also been more siloed in the past. This is just mm-hmm. the current situation. I actually just kind of changed my own role to now having the two editors. I used to be essentially the QSR editor, even though I'd, I didn't have that title officially. <laughs> We didn't have an editor for QSR. We had an FSR editor and then an editorial director. Um, so now we have a QSR editor and an FSR editor and then myself kind of um, making sure they're both doing well. But but yeah, it, it's um, but it's only like five people, like I mentioned. So, you know, we all have to really help each other out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. How did you get into this business? How did you get into this world? Yeah, um, it's it's not an overly interesting story. I was working at a newspaper in Florida. So I, I had done that part of my career for about 10 years as a high school sports writer um, at a couple different places. But I was part of a company that got acquired by somebody else and they were outsourcing an entire department to Texas. And um, that department was my department. <laughs> And so I had been basically given this like a two month period of time before I got laid off. And in that period of time, I was looking for jobs and my wife really wanted to move to North Carolina for some reason. I think she camped there growing up or she wanted to get out of Florida. I don't know, but just kind of stunned. She actually sent me this job. I had no idea what it was. Um, actually ended up getting rehired by that company, but by then I had already done the interviews here and I'm like, you know what? I don't really want to stay somewhere that was about to lay me off for nothing. <laughs> I'm going to go try this crazy idea of writing for a restaurant magazine. You know, having had no uh, history in business to business journalism or restaurants in general and just kind of took the leap, moved up to North Carolina and, 
and yeah, I just uh, <laughs> just gave it a go. It was um, it was terrifying at first, to be honest. My colleagues always like the story that I cried myself to sleep the first night because I thought I was going to get fired, which is you know true. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, because I had been given this like seven page list of duties, I didn't understand any of it. I knew nothing about the industry. I I did this interview with somebody that you know. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I was just like, why did I leave sports journalism where I was doing fine outside of, you know, this weird thing, but, you know, I was doing okay. Um, and I was, I am comfortable in it, you know, and then, but it ended up being easily the best decision I probably have made, you know, outside of like, you know, having kids and getting married and whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, it really did change my life for the better. Best thing I did was giving that a go. Yeah, that's great. When I started in in the food business in 2015 with my dad, I, I I told him I was like, "How do I learn how to do this industry?" And he goes, "Well, there's no books on it. Um, you, it's just one of those industries you have to kind of get out there and do it and work with it and learn as you go along." And that was kind of the the reason I started this podcast. I was like, "Okay, I've been doing this for seven or eight years now, and I want to be able to share insights and information and knowledge from people within the industry, like yourself, who uh, are at the top of their game and have great insights into how they got to where they're at." And you know, I think more we can learn in this industry, the better we'll be. You know, going out into the future. Yeah, how I so how I went about that because you know I was terrified as I mentioned. I, I so I read every issue. I was working on FSR to start, not QSR. So I tried to read every issue ever from front to cover, which took a while because they were they were dense back then. They were like 140 pages of wow. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did that every night, you know, at my lunch breaks until I got through all of them. And then the other thing that I did, and I still do this, and I'm the only person. On, on my staff who does this because they all think I'm crazy. But whenever I do an interview, you know, I don't use transcription services like everybody does mm -hmm. nowadays. I still transcribe and listen to every interview that I conduct, you know, no matter if it's an hour or 20 minutes, because I want to, I, I use them almost like webinars. Like I listen to what they have to say. And then when I go to write, I kind of I'm almost like repeating their vernacular and their mindset more than I am really writing it from my own viewpoint. So the way my content always tends to come out, you know, I, I was uh, recently at a conference and they were Pizza Hut was presenting, and uh, I had talked to them for a cover story in January of last year, and I was watching their presentation and I'm like, they're basically saying everything that I said. <laughs> In terms of like the verbiage that you're using, and then I realized it's not that I said it; I just like repeated them for the you know in a certain way. So I, I basically I try to I try to pick up the language and the way that they see things from their view more than. And so I still to this day, eight years later, I listen to everything um, wow. that I record because I, I just want to keep learning because I have never run a restaurant before. You know, I'm not, I, I don't pretend to know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but when I, when I speak at conferences or do panels and things and I start to talk after a few minutes, I'm like, I just said something that I heard him say like a month ago. And that to me is a good thing that I've become almost like a megaphone for mm -hmm. industry experts. So yeah, that's, 
kind of was my plan. Yeah, I've noticed that on LinkedIn is you've got a, a nice, uh, a wide range of different topics within the industry, which I think is really unique and different. And I noticed that your engagement is pretty high on the posts that you put out. So people are definitely resonating with that uh, content that you're putting out. What about going into the future? How do you see the role of media and journalism in the food service industry, maybe in like five or 10 years from now? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a good question. Uh, a lot of different people have a lot of different viewpoints on it, whether or not you skew towards some multimedia efforts or whether or not you keep kind of delivering the thing that you always have been. You know, and I have mixed feelings about it. You know, we do a lot of podcasts and, you know, I think that that's, that's obviously something that people are looking for. But I, I think a lot of, of what's happening now is that, they're really looking for ways to use your content to connect with each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we, we decided among other reasons to actually do an in-person event this year in September, which we have never done. Um, and it's an undertaking for sure. <laughs> but, but the, you know, and of course there are immediate benefits to something like that, but the broader idea of it is to, you know, we really want to, I think everyone in the industry who I mentioned earlier wants to create a, a sphere, almost like a circular content organization that you can come to for everything. And that includes, you know, networking. Um, so do you do that through in-person events? Do you do it through webinars? Do you do it through podcasts or videos? You know, so what I will say, though, at least this is how I view things, and I, I think I, you can, I can probably be accused of being a little bit old school on this front, but I don't always see the need to dive into whatever flashy new media is out there. Mm -hmm. You know, the written, the written word, um, the long-form content, at least for restaurants, I mean, you know, everything that we track still seems to resonate, you know, and then... You know, the print magazine itself, you know, I think if you ask sort of the casual bystander, what does the media landscape look five years from now, they would say there's no print, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen um, to us mm -hmm. because our magazine serves a very direct purpose that people still appreciate. Executives still want to be on the cover, you know, and I think it is something we're going to continue to invest in. So what I will say is I think it looks different what that looks like, who knows. But at the same time, I don't think it looks as different as you may think. You know, I'm a big believer in finding what works and then just doing more of it and doing it better and then doing it over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll keep giving you what you show me that you want instead of me trying to sort of force you into a media channel that, you know, you might feel, I might think that you want content in, but I don't have proof of it. I'm not really a huge fan of that resources to me don't make a lot of sense. So, so yeah, I mean, we're going to keep writing articles um, and we're going to probably keep hosting a really big in-person event. <laughs> yeah, um, tell me know, about that event. When is it? Where is it? Um, and who will be, you know, what are kind of some of the events that'll be happening? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking because we of are, we, <laughs> we just opened registration a week and a half ago. So right. it's, it's uh, still very early in the process and we're, you know, we're figuring everything out. A lot of questions from people that I, you know, kind of answer them as they come because they don't have an experience in this. Um, our new parent company does, thankfully. So they've been the backbone of this all. But 
which is WTWH Media, by the way. Just had to flash that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Um, but yeah, so we have two events. They're happening simultaneously. Okay. Um, so in reality, it's, it's one event, but it's kind of like you're, you're segmenting the tracks of the education. But so one is called QSR Evolution, mm-hmm. which is exactly how it sounds. We're talking about the future of running a quick service restaurant. You know, we have, uh, I mean, we have a lot of programming. It goes really from everywhere about, you know, how to become a best franchise or to becoming, you know, a great brand to work for to we've got a women in leadership networking hour, which is going to be great to um, fast, casual entrepreneurship menu stuff. It's just basically every topic I could think of was, is pretty much covered ghost kitchens, POS systems, uh, and then we, so then the other event that's happened simultaneously in the same venue, which is in Buckhead, Georgia, it's at the Grand Hyatt in September, September 6th and 7th. The 5th is like a welcome reception. So that's called the Next Gen Restaurant Summit. So that's intended really for first full service restaurant operators who are in the emerging space. So, you know, like anywhere between, you know, five units and 200 units. But um, yeah, where we are now, you know, we were our speaker lineup and the agenda is pretty much, you know, where it is. Uh, we've got four keynotes. The CEO of Chick-fil-A is the opening keynote, which is very exciting. That's definitely one of the reasons we put it in Atlanta <laughs> um, was to kind of court uh, a few of the brands who are based there. It's really a fast food mecca. Um, mm-hmm. Some people don't realize that, but you know, we hope to really pull from that base. But yeah, so Chick-fil-A is the keynote at the opening. And then we have Inspire Brands, um, their chief growth officer is this, he's either, they go in order, I, I can't remember right now, but we also have Subway's VP of North America, Trevor Haynes. And then the uh, CEO of First Watch is the closing keynote. So the keynotes are great. We have a hundred and like 40 speakers. It's, um, Kind of crazy, maybe too many to be one hundred and forty. Uh, wow, that's yeah, that's I like. That. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, well, well, like I like I've kind of been saying throughout this podcast. I mean, we kind of go big on everything. <laughs> you know what? Why not? <laughs> so, so when they handed me the agenda or like the um, basically the programming reins, I was just like, I'm gonna put a lot of people in here, and uh, <laughs> you know, we'll and we'll see how it get, looks at the finish line. You know, it, it could always be different, but. But right now, there's just a lot of speakers. And um, yeah, one thing I'll point out is that we're trying, you know, the audience is going to be all operators. Okay. So any vendor, supplier, got a sponsor. <laughs> I've had to tell a lot of people that lately, which is not normal mm-hmm. for me. It's not my side of the world, but um, that that's just how it is, you know. You know, you can get involved that way, you know, but you, you got to start there. So. Mm-hmm. You know what? That'd probably be a great event to to sponsor if you're gonna have if it's all operators. I mean, that's vendors, you know, manufacturers. That's their target market, right? They're all in one under one roof, right? I mean, that's the idea. You can't you can't start allowing vendors and suppliers to just come because then nobody would sponsor it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just because their crowd would be all vendors and suppliers, but they would say, "Why do I have to sponsor this if you you know just let them in?" So you have to kind of take this approach as I'm learning. You know, this is all new to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're. I mean, that's what we've been trying to say. It's so Coca-Cola is our founding sponsor. So they're, wow, you know, okay. and it's like, okay, Coke, you know, 
you want to introduce Chick Fil A? <laughs> of course, right? You know, you yeah, guys are obviously you guys are great friends. Um, you know, and then on top of that, we're gonna stuff you know four hundred QSR operators in here or whatever the number is. But four hundred. Well, the yeah, I mean, we don't we don't know. We're trying to aim at like six hundred total people. Okay. So, so that's like one hundred and forty speakers. Let's say that's I round it down to a hundred for math purposes. Then it's a hundred vendors. And so now you're left with 400 operators, but we'll you know we'll see. Uh, again, like I said, it's only been a week and a half. We've had a lot of interest. Um, you know, just kind of explaining to people what's going on is really the step that we're at because because mm-hmm. it's never happened before. So they got to pay to come to a conference that's brand new, and you got to show them why. And uh, yeah, it's a task ahead of me. What's the best way for people listening in to find? And sign up for this event. Yeah, each each uh, web each event has a website, qsrevolutionconference.com. The other one is the Next Gen Restaurant Summit. But in in both cases, um, if you went to the LinkedIn pages of okay. QSR or FSR for that matter, they both pinned to the top have the like we created events for the the LinkedIn company pages that you can easily just open you know, sign up for, and then the link is in there to actually go register. So trying to make it easy. But the other thing you could do, of course, is just ask me, you know, if you want to just message me on, on LinkedIn or email me, sure. You can do that too. And, um, you know, we have an approval process for everyone who registers, so you can't just sneak in there. (laughs) Um, You know, and then if you do want to sponsor, of course, I can I can help you uh, find the right person to talk to uh, about that as well. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you have access to a lot of different trends that are happening in the industry. Is there anything that's going to be a main focus at the event, a main topic? Yeah, I mean, it's in September. This industry moves quickly, so you try to wonder like, what is what will be the big thing now? I was just at this conference and. I would say that the number one thing anyone was talking about was probably automation and AI. Mm-hmm. Just kind of what led to me to writing that uh, White Castle story. But you know, everybody was asking kind of the same question: is like, okay, we're all talking about it, but is anybody actually doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, and the answer to that is not overly clear because no one has really proved they could scale robotics at scale, right? Right. Um, you know, there are really cool examples of it in some in some brands, but there aren't like three thousand robots at any chain. <laughs> um, so I'm sure that'll be a big thing. Um, labor, I, I have a feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, the the best way for me to kind of figure that out is when I was going to put the panels together. Which are the ones that I ran out of room on the fastest? <laughs> and that was anything related to labor, and anything related to technology. And those were the things that. I couldn't fill up slow enough, and I ended up with hmm. too many um, panelists on some of them. And I'm kind of assuming they don't all end up showing up. But you know, if they do, though, then I just have five or six people talking on stage, which yeah. is cool. Yeah, of course, <laughs> different perspectives. Uh, yeah, but but one thing we're doing too that's that I created that I hadn't gone and realizing I was going to do were these fireside chats. And um, mm. so that's something we're doing very unique that's only around at a couple of other events, but you know, basically 30 minute conversations with an executive talking about the 
story behind their brand. Mm-hmm. So we have those running through two straight days and everyone from Popeyes to Kava to Sweetgreen to um, Wendy's to it's, it's a long list, Jack in the Box, um, Wingstop. So really, so in addition to kind of getting the trends, you're also going to really be in the room with the kind of a who's who of, of brands right now. And um, so you'll learn a lot of stories about successful people in addition to what's going on and what's relevant. Yeah, that's great. And the topic of AI, how do you see that being an influence in food service, or will it be? Yeah, I I think it is. Um, I think the biggest thing that you have to think about, this, or at least again, this is what White Castle thought, <laughs> is the Internet of Things. Um, it's a big conversation they brought up, and just the connected restaurant in the back of the house. Mm-hmm. I think you know we did a podcast recently with John Taffer. It was really fun, but um, you know he was basically saying automation and tech in the back and hospitality in the front. I think that's becoming a very popular thing because during COVID, you had a lot of tech in the front. And um, I think that's leveling out a little bit. But, you know, automation and AI, I think, have a really good place with things like scheduling, you know, inventory. That's Mm -hmm. all topics that are here right now. You know, some of those more interesting um, concepts like AI at the drive through. And then, you know, of course, robotics in the back, like with, uh, you know, burger flipping robots and all that fun stuff. <laughs> you know, the, the AI, the drive through is, is coming for sure. There are definitely several mm-hmm. brands doing that to a pretty large footprint. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I don't think it's going to work for everybody. And I do think it has to get better. You know, the conversational chat GPT and all that stuff that's mm-hmm. got to happen in a way that, you know, it feels somewhat organic. I don't think anyone's ever think that they're talking to a person, but they do have to have the ability to, mm-hmm. you know, just be back and forth in a way that is flexible. And so that that's a technology I think you're going to see more of. And then also, I, I think the robotics is um, Sweet Green's doing like robotic uh, make lines for salad. This Infinite Kitchen and Chipotle's got some investments in that, and that's. And there are, there are, I think there's a place for that for sure. I just think that that's probably a little far away in terms of it happening on a, in a really big way. You know, and also there will be some brands that probably never really get into that. But you'll, you'll definitely see more brands just buying companies to do that mm-hmm. for them too. So, so yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see. It's definitely here to stay, just how it gets implemented. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's an exciting concept, but... Still time will tell. For QSR and FSR, do you see AI as an opportunity or a threat? Um, we, you know, we, we dabble in it. Um, you know, some of us like it more than others. <laughs> you know, we use it for, I think we use it as a tool. Like we try to, you know, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. feed it like a story and tell me like, you know, write 10 SEO friendly headlines for this, you know, mm-hmm. or write me a description for this podcast and, and then we'll kind of look at it and be like, oh, this isn't terrible. Like maybe I can take this one and tweak it. Um, you know, is it going to start writing our articles? No. You know, will it start rewriting press releases for us one day? Maybe. <laughs> is it a, is it a threat though? I don't think it is because it's just not the type of, you know, I, I think B2B it's, um, you know, you're probably a little more shielded from it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think things like, you know, there are some levels of sports writing and, and fantasy sports and stuff like that that I would probably be a little bit worried about if mm-hmm. I was someone who majored in that. And that's why you see a lot of these organizations really turn toward commentary um, over just like the reporting of what's happening. But um, but for our industry, you know, writing about restaurants, um, you know, the, it's just... You know, like a, a good trick with GBT is when you're done, like when you tell the right to write you something, tell it to cite its sources. And if you, if you uh, do that, then you'll you'll suddenly realize that this cool article that wrote for you is basically plagiarized off your competitor <laughs> <laughs> or or yourself, um, right? But you have to be careful. So you know, there will be nobody on our staff who uses it to write straight up articles. Um, okay, will we use it to? influence some headlines and things like that to get, help us out sure um but it's not a game changer for us yeah um, at least not as it stands you know who, who the hell knows what the next version of it looks like but, yeah but currently no i don't i don't uh, i don't really see it as a, a threat or anything yeah. what about for you personally L- looking into the future what are some things that you want to accomplish um yeah I, well i i've personally you know i've been really focused in the last probably i'd say year and a half of of really staffing correctly mm-hmm. i've because i'm not a natural leader really i was always somebody who just kind of did their work you know was kind of quiet about it wasn't really overly um you know, out there and charismatic. And, you know, that was something our former editor was great at and still is. And like, I was content being that guy in the cubicle, you know? So, so I'm trying to really learn how to um, delegate in a way that makes everybody better versus just like doing all the hard things myself. It's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons I created this recent structure with the editors was to give them opportunity as much as it was to sort of change my direction and so I'm really trying to just become a better, you know, manager and and things like that, and to have an organization that works, you know, more smoothly. And I think we're, you know, I think we're really close to being there, as I mentioned earlier. You know, I feel feel pretty good about it, but I still have a lot of room to grow on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, just I want this event to work out, of course. <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, really poured everything I had into the first part of it, which was just making that speaker lineup. But now is really kind of where the hard part begins. And, um, you know, if I could stand up there on that stage in September and look out and see 600 people and all most of our speakers showed up, (laughs) you know, I'll feel really good about about that and the fact that we were able to make that happen. And then, you know, of course, then we start planning for year two. But, you know, that that's kind of the horizon. Um, I mean, at least for me, is just to keep working on being a better manager and then also trying to, you know, continue to build the footprint of our brand to sort of lead to this event. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and trust me, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think I could really plan beyond that personally for myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big undertaking. We mentioned LinkedIn. Is that the best way for people listening in to connect with you is through LinkedIn or is there a different way? 
No, I would say that that's the best way. That an yeah. email, which is just decline at wtwhmedia.com. I, um, yeah, I have a work phone. You can call it. I probably won't answer it on the first one because I've learned my <laughs> lesson over the years. You know, usually the way I look at that is like anyone, anyone calling me, you know, if they couldn't reach me via email, I probably didn't want to answer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, so I mean, I'll obviously read the messages and voicemail return them if that's not the case. But generally, it's usually someone going, "Hey, I shot you this email," and then I'm like, "Well, there's a reason you didn't hear from me." Um, <laughs> but no, LinkedIn is the best way for sure. Obviously, I'm on there every day, uh, trying to monitor the many things that are happening. So, yeah, any questions come there. Happy to answer them. Happy to point you in a direction if that's what what you're looking for. But yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, Danny, I want to just say thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Titans of Food Service podcast, talk to me. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to really resonate with this uh, conversation. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Always, always like talking about what we do. You know, 99% of the time we're talking about what somebody else does. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's, an, it's nice to flip the mic sometimes. I totally. appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much, Danny. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.